Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This case is why we lock our doors at night. Attacked all over California. The community was taken hostage. Brutal homicides. One of the most prolific serial killers in the history of this state, if not in this nation. campaign to help identify the Golden State Killer. That was the June 15, 2016 press conference announcing a relaunch in the hunt for the Golden State Killer, commemorating the 40th anniversary of the first known East Area Rapist attack. And then, on April 25, 2018, there was a new press conference. It is fitting that today is National DNA Day. We found the needle in the haystack, and it was right here in Sacramento. We were able to get some discarded DNA, and we were able to confirm what we thought we already knew, that we had our man. And yesterday afternoon, in a perfectly executed arrest, my detectives arrested James Joseph D'Angelo, 72 years old, living in Citrus Heights. I'm Joke Finciun. And I'm Biagio Messina, and we're the filmmakers behind the HLN documentary series, Unmasking a Killer, a series about the hunt for the Golden State Killer, a hunt which I am thrilled to tell you has come to an end. We're here today with Todd Lindsay, who you might remember from the very first podcast uh, that we did here at Unmasking a Killer. And we said, you know, we hope someday we get to sit down and share a bottle of champagne and toast the fact that we know who this guy is. Guess what today is? Someday is here. Did you think it was only going to be six weeks? Oh, yeah, I knew the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Todd, we're here. And guess what we have? A bottle of a really good champagne. A really good I can champagne. Vouch for that, yeah. It's cold. I don't know if I'll be able to pop it. Watch out for the mic. Oh, here we go. It's going to come. Go. Ready? Very Woo-hoo! good. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, this is well deserved. Todd, tell me, why are we doing this? Well, they arrested the Golden State Killer. Um, an amazing occurrence. Kind of came out of the blue. They got a lead and acted on it very quickly and um a few days later they arrested the 72 years old man in his backyard right or was it his front yard front yard okay yeah it's uh funny the um the way they did it uh, they sent a undercover officer up to pretend he was lost and walked into the yard to ask um for directions. Uh, D'Angelo for directions. D'Angelo started yelling at him. They got into an argument and they used that distraction to get in behind him and take him down. I remember from reading uh, the various reports and books on the cases that uh, D'Angelo, as a young man, was caught in people's backyards a few times and um, would use the uh, ruse, I'm looking for my friend. <laughs> so a little bit of uh, karma there. Uh, yeah. Very nice. All right. Well, let's toast. It has been 
42 years since the first uh, East Area Rapist attacks, but now that we also can confirm that he is the Visalia Ransacker. He's the he, he, he's looking really good for really that. Really good, yeah. which those started in 74. Yeah. So um, this man has been committing crimes uh, as far back as, what are we talking about, 44 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's been a long time. A lot of investigators, some have already passed, that have worked really hard on this. So uh, a lot of victims who've suffered and survivors who... I've been tormented by the fear of this guy still being out there. They all get to sleep more peaceful. The investigators um, can finally get answers on this. So for all their hard work, right? Let's toast. Yes. Woo-hoo. Congrats, Todd. Congrats, Thank you, everybody. And congrats, congrats to you guys, too. Well, t- believe me, the congrats go to the authorities and the families and the survivors who've kept this case alive for so many years. They wouldn't let it go. They wouldn't let it go. They proved that there's no time limit on justice, and I just think that is I just think that is spectacular, and so many kudos to them. It's a great feeling, isn't it? It, it, to kind it of is. To see this uh, come to fruition, and uh, they finally found the guy it's it's an amazing feeling i know joke and i after the first couple days up in sacramento it it took a, yeah. a while to sink in and, and let, let me let me back that up so um so for those who don't know joke and i are married and todd called me and said we need to go to sacramento they caught first him. thing in the morning and i was like okay <laughs> he's like no they caught him and i literally was like oh my gosh so i tried to call joke and i couldn't get a hold of her i was at the office she was at home so i literally drove home 40 minutes as fast as i could trying to get to her so i could be like we need to go to sacramento so joke and todd went up i stayed back here but you guys had a lot of really great experiences with both law enforcement and survivors and family members right what was that reunion like Oh, it was amazing. I mean, I th- I think, you know, everybody that we saw whose stories we followed and documented, and again, they're the ones doing the work in solving this case. We were just, you know, honored to, to be able to, to show their stories and they were open and vulnerable with us. So so we've built this bond and this relationship where we've documented their hard work and, and their emotions into this and every single one of them, right? Every single one of them, whether they were family or survivor or law enforcement, when we saw each other, whether it was across a parking lot, through a window, it was just joy. And sometimes there were tears of joy. And then the hugs, man. I mean, I will never forget the hugs, you know. And people might think it's strange to, um, you know, almost celebrate um, the capture of this guy. But these people have worked so hard for so long I think it was just an immense relief, obviously for the victims and their families, but uh, also for law enforcement. And I think that relief was just it came out in a joyous expression. Um, And, you know, it it was just a fantastic day. And and we were very lucky to be able to share it with uh, all the people involved and. Law enforcement up in Sacramento did a fantastic job. They never let this case go. They never let it go. Um, Paul Holes, one of the heroes in this case, you know, kept pushing for it, helped bridge the gap between some of these jurisdictions. You know, we know Ventura County was essential in um, getting, you know, to D'Angelo. So I think there's a lot of people who put a lot of time in um, to get this done. And, yeah, I know you say, you know, it's weird to celebrate this. And, you know, you think about all the people who've, you know, suffered because of this guy. So it's like, yes, it's finally they get a comeuppance. And at the same time, we've talked, you know, even with survivors on how 
they all their thoughts also immediately went to D'Angelo's family. Yes. A whole new set of victims was created the day he was identified. Right. Because, you know, his children were unaware. There's, you know, I personally spoke to the neighbor across the street who was in shock and felt surreal and, you know, betrayed in a way because it's like, wait, this is not who I know. And I've had this man in my house and he's been with my children. I've had my children at his house. And so, you know, joyous on one hand for all those people who have suffered. And then we also need to acknowledge that a whole group of new people who had no idea that he was living among them are now having to process that. And they they are going through their own trauma. Right. Uh, Definitely. I mean, uh, he has three children and... Uh, I'm sure all our hearts go out to them. Um, luckily, they're adults and they're not young, so they should be able to handle this better than if they were, you know, still kids. But yes, it's a very, it's got to be a an incredibly hard thing to go through. I, I remember when they arrested BTK up in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, he had a son and daughter. The daughter lived in the town and the son was serving in the Navy on a nuclear submarine. Mm-hmm. And they had to call him and give him that news. And I, I can't even imagine what that would be like to receive that type of news. So I think I speak for everybody here that um, we definitely uh, have sympathy for for his family. And I would hope that they and everybody for whom this is new and is going through this trauma would understand that the people who have been working this so long and who who have been suffering for so long now get to experience the emotion that they've wanted, which, like you said, I think is relief. Yes. There's such a relief that that came about that community and everybody involved that, you know, finally their hard work is paying off. Finally, they get answers. We don't have all the answers yet. There's still a lot to go right. in this investigation. But we'll get them and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel exactly. now. Um this, you know, if they had found out who it was and he had been deceased, that would have been disappointing. Um, it would have been great that they would have, you know, positively identified this man, but we would have never had answers. And now that uh, they found him still alive and kicking them, there's uh, a great potential to get those answers and study this case. It's a one of a kind case, and uh, I think it's important to find out as much information as possible. So we can use that um, against the next person that comes down the pike who's going to be like this. You know, and as you said, it's it's an amazing story. It's unfolding. This case is just getting started in terms of where it's going to land. Right. You know, what what his final sentence is going to be. We have no idea. Where the idea. trial is going to be. There's so many jurisdictions who exactly. can try them. So. Right. So, so much to figure out. And actually, when we come back after break... Uh, You know, there's been all this new information released all over online. So we're going to do a verified or not verified question and answer section to figure out which rumors are true that we've heard have been verified and which ones we think are just rumors. Right. I think it's great. So we're here with Todd Lindsay, our partner in crime on our Unmasking a Killer series. Uh, we've, we've been on this now for over three years, celebrating the identification and capture of the Golden State Killer. And a lot of the credit to that goes to our, our friend Paul Holes and the many departments that really have worked for years on this. Paul Holes is an amazing guy. I know you agree. He's a hero. He's um, one of a kind. Uh, had some great guys around him. Ken Clark from the Sacramento Sheriff's Department. Rhodes from uh, the Ventura, Ventura Police mm-hmm. Department. 
uh, and several others um, who worked so hard. And we just want to say we would love for it to have started with a tip from somebody who watched our show or read Michelle McNamara's book or, you know, saw it somewhere. But that is not the case. Um, they solved this case by uh, just uh, hard work. Um what they call, what's the term, gumshoe detective? That's right. Yeah. You know, where you pound the pavement. Right. So, um, I mean, but it's obviously a 21st century version of that where they um, pounded the DNA <laughs> databases. You, yeah, but I think that's what's so amazing in this case. It's, it's you know, it's a 40-plus-year-old case. We talked about, you know, how the original investigators had to, you know, like knock on doors to see if a suspect was home at the time of a crime. Right. All the way to Paul Holes connecting these through DNA technology. And the way they solved this was through, you know, advanced DNA technology now that keeps changing and keeps getting better, combined with literally, you know, pound the pavement, door to door, figuring out who are these people, what are the family trees, who's related to who, could this be the person, you know, detective work. It's, It's really quite remarkable how it was science and just a lot of blood, sweat and tears by these detectives. It's an amazing time for... Uh, law enforcement because, you know, technology is uh, advancing rapidly. So they have a lot more tools now to to use to catch these guys. And they're clearly catching them much sooner than they used to. You're not seeing these long, drawn out 10, 20 year uh, serial killer careers uh, where they're just uh, unstoppable. Uh, now, that used to be the case, as you guys know, um, in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s. But that seems to be slowing down quite a bit. Uh, they're catching these people much earlier. Better techniques, better knowledge, um, knowing who you're going after behavioral-wise. I mean, mm-hmm. um, so and we're going to learn a lot from this case, but also the technology. Uh, like we said in our show, I mean, they had almost no tech advantage over the criminal. The criminals seemed to have a lot of advantages back in the 70s and 80s. And I, I feel like that's turned around now. I know. The scales have finally yes. changed uh, in law enforcement's favor. All the surveillance cameras, uh, the computer technology. Uh, there's no way he gets away with what he did uh, back then today. And Yeah, and, absolutely. And they managed to find this guy in uh, has a needle in a haystack, just like the DA said. I mean, it, it's an amazing... Yeah. It's, it, and, you know, because of that, I mean, it was a needle in a haystack because, you know, people have been following this case so closely... All of a sudden, like we now know, Tuesday this guy is arrested. Wednesday they announce it. Yes. You know, there has been a flurry of reports all across the web about who Joseph James D'Angelo is. We now know he's the Golden State Killer, but where did he come from? What happened when he was arrested? So we're going to do a little verified or not verified section. Uh, I'm going to go through some of the stuff that people have been talking about on the web. And you guys let me know if uh, if we can verify this or not. we Will do. Okay, so... Verified or not, he's missing a finger. Uh, that is verified, although it's not the entire finger. It's more of the tip. Yeah, it's. it's I think he. They had said it's. It's a few of the the top. Is that phalanges? Is that what we call it? Well, that's a good word. I have <laughs> the, no idea. The digits, you know, um, the part, you know, where you have the nail to the knuckle. Right. Those kind of things. And it was two fingers, from what we understand. Yeah, right? and it wasn't a military accident while serving in the navy. I think what's interesting about that is that some of the um, reports had been, you know, stubby, stubby like fingers. fat, stubby fingers. Yes. 
and they weren't necessarily so much fat and stubby as they were. But you can understand why they would think that because um, he might have been wearing gloves. But he, well, he, he, he mostly wore gloves wore all gloves the time. Now, yeah. Which is it's another thing. We were always like, oh, he was so smart because of the fingerprints. But he may also have been wearing gloves because he had such a recognizable hand. That is a recognizable injury. To, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's good, amazing. good thought. And so if somebody saw that on their um, their rapist, and then they see him out in public with the same injury, um, they wouldn't have had to have seen his face. You, exactly. you can identify somebody just by that. So, yeah, that is true. Okay, so when they took the Golden State Killer down, when, that, when, this, when they converged on him and arrested him at his home, verified or not verified, he looked up and said, I have a roast in the oven. That has been widely reported. <gasps> I, I have no idea. We have no idea. Paul didn't mention that. But it's very possible, you know. <sighs> well, what we do know is that he, while in custody, has not cooperated, but has had moments where he's mumbling and he's talking. Right. So I don't know if one of those mumbles were like, I have a roast in the oven or, you know, we know he said that, you know, I've lived a very good life. Um, there are some things there, but, you know, right. it seems to be law enforcement's opinion that you know, they can't trust those things he's saying that, that he might be putting on a show. Right. All right. So this next one really blew my mind. Verified or not verified, he actually worked for the police department on the anti-burglary unit. Well, that is confirmed through a newspaper article uh, that Joke and I read. Uh, it was fascinating. And burglaries went down. That was from the end of 75 to the middle of 76? Is that what you remember? Yeah, yeah. the article was May 11th, 1976, and it said okay. how in the last six months, burglaries had dropped, I think they said like 14% or 7%, something like that. And you're like, well, the ransackers stopped December 75, so right. those last six months would have been, you know, probably just dropping just because the ransacker Because stopped. he was laying low. Well, you remember in September is when he shot Professor Snelling, and so he really scaled back his activity even from September. So just the fact that he slows down his burglary activity probably represents that 14% drop. Right. But, but what a great way to increase your job <laughs> performance by just you stopping your being a criminal, right. <laughs> And what Joke and I also found fascinating about that was he was given, he and his partner were given a, a federal grant to uh, work on this anti-burglary activity. So basically the federal government gave him money. To teach the public <laughs> on how to prevent burglaries. While he's committing, oh God, uh, I mean... Uh, Several burglaries a week. Uh, sometimes his activity went up to 12 burglaries a week, two, three in one night. I mean, it just depended on how much uh, time he had on his hands, I guess. I mean, we're not really sure why, but it seemed to um, go in uh, peaks and valleys. Right. And, and that was another thing. So he learned how to be a fantastic burglar, which he was. He was great at being able to get into people's homes undetected, possibly from... From working on this anti-burglary right. he unit. Was, he was basically being paid to learn how to get away with it. It's, it's amazing. Although from what we found, though, the burglary task force didn't start until after the ransacker had already started his spree. Mm -hmm. So he's the perfect guy for the job. Let's right. put it that way. Yes. <laughs> All right. Verified <laughs> or unverified, uh, Joseph James D'Angelo, uh, the Golden State Killer, is estranged from his wife, but not divorced. That's what we understand also. Joke, would you? Yes, we... What we've been told is that he 
was married, is still married. They separated in 1991 and are, you know, have not lived together, have not, you know, lived as a married couple, but are, are technically still married, never went through divorce proceedings. And she is a divorce attorney. She's a divorce family law and I believe real estate law attorney. So if she wanted a divorce, she could obviously easily make that it. happen very easily. So there's a reason why they're still married, which is another interesting thing. You know, I just want to put out there that uh, legally... Are you going to speculate right, right now? I'll speculate a little <laughs> bit. I mean, legally, a spouse cannot be forced to testify against their husband or wife. So that may indicate that maybe she um, knew something or suspected or something. Right. Or it could have just been for tax reasons. Or it could have just been right. for, you know, they didn't want to put the kids through that. Or True. Yeah, it might it not be, be a million reasons at all. Right. Looking back on everything, you, you want to put a... Um, a nefarious uh, tint on it because of who he is. But you're right. It might have been for innocent reasons. So we just don't know yet. But we do understand that she has not spoken to the police. Well, she she has spoken to them. The daughters have spoken to them. She She's not, you cooperating. know, she's not cooperating in a sense that she's like, you know, spilling all the details right. and the dirt. And and that could, it's been less than 72 hours. So right. it could also just be for the fact that she's like, I need to process all of this. Exactly. I mean, the shock must be it's so intense. If she had no idea, it must be completely insane. It must be. Well, we have been told that the daughters are absolutely devastated. Yes. So they had absolutely no idea, even didn't know about... His time as a police officer. They were unaware officer. of that. Which was before they were born. Yes. So that's understandable. I guess his last 22 years was working uh, at a... Uh, a grocery warehouse. He was a truck mechanic there. So he worked on the trucks that brought these deliveries. So that's what he did. And he retired a few weeks ago. Actually, around <laughs> the same time as Paul Holes retired. That is an amazing is coincidence. So and we kept saying, and Paul Holes said this, I said this, uh, Joke said this, and Biagio, this guy, because we thought he was going to be a little younger. He's 72. I was thinking early 60s to mid 60s. And so that's usually the time that you start thinking about retiring. And we would say we cannot let this guy go into retirement and enjoy his retirement. That cannot happen. We got to get this guy. And he retired a couple of weeks before the arrest. It's absolutely amazing. He got a couple week grace period. And then yes, Paul got he got to enjoy his retirement for him. two weeks. Although I don't know how much he enjoyed it before the arrest. There's a lot of publicity about this case. If I was him, I would be extremely nervous. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would have to imagine he heard about it. Yes. Uh, I mean, we we even went to Sacramento and did a, a screening of one of the documentary episodes of Unmasking a Killer. And On I April fifth, like literally, I what? kept telling Joe he might be here. Yes, he might be here. I don't think he was there because no. I think I would have remembered that face. But he, but we were within striking distance of where he was living. Uh, it's amazing. Um, and also, we know that he had computers. In the house, so it'd be it's it'll be interesting to find out if he would look at the pro boards that talked about his case, uh, if he did research into his case to see where the police were in the investigation. Uh, all that will come out at some point, and it'll be very interesting. Okay, verified or not verified? While he was working for the police department, he actually ended up being let go for stealing dog repellent and a hammer. That is verified, um, again, through newspaper articles and our conversations with law enforcement. After the last attack in Danville, the aborted attack in Danville, um, shortly thereafter is when this shoplifting happened. 
personally, I think, you know, to him, the rules didn't apply. And that's probably why, you know, who knows, he might have even been in uniform. I have no idea that is not verified. But he probably thought he could get away with it. Didn't. And so from July to October, he went through the proceedings with the police department and the investigation um, as to, you know, the validity of it, the severity of this behavior. And they ended up, as we all know, terminating him. This was the Auburn Police Department and good for them Yes, <laughs> for terminating him. But the uh, final termination was in October of 79. And we all know that the aborted Goleta attack happened at the end of October 79. Right. So we've always talked about what was that, quote unquote, silent period between the aborted Danville and Goleta. And we were always thinking, oh, he's moving down south. Right. He must be doing this. And what we know now is he was under investigation by the Auburn Police Department and probably thought I might be under surveillance. I should so lay low. I should lay low and not do anything. <laughs> yes. And let's talk about the two items. Let's talk about the, the two creepily significant items. Well, for him, that's a murder kit. Uh, he already has several stolen guns at this point in his criminal career. So he has that and he has the ski mask. Obviously, he's using the dog repellent. And we've spoken about this in the show. Well, okay, so let's talk about it. He yeah. stole dog repellent and a hammer. Right. And, you know, the hammer can be used for many things, including, you know, um, obviously murdering and, and bludgeoning people. But, you know, we also know that he was very adept at breaking into homes through windows and right. by uh, putting small things against the window and giving them a nice knock. Probably with a hammer, he's able to get a, a, a clean hole that is hard, hardly detectable in there. So it could also just be a breaking in tool. Or it could be both. It could uh, be both. I mean, uh, right. you, you want to... But the dog repellent, I know that's we... That's significant. We yeah. put a special webisode together about yes. his relationship with dogs, which you can find <laughs> on HLN.com. It is amazing to me, even in all the years we've talked about this case, that we never even talked about dog repellent. And I've never heard anybody mention dog repellent. And that is, that's amazing. Um, you know, I don't know if I even knew that they sold dog repellent. Did you? No, I didn't know it was I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I heard bear spray. But it's interesting because didn't some of the victims say that he smelled funny? We have heard some people say there was a distinctive smell. Um, and others said he, they smelled uh, nothing on him. Right. So so one of the things we we talked about is like we should go back through the old police reports and say, were the people that noticed a distinctive smell, did they have dogs? Right. You know, because we know he pre-scouts your home. So right. maybe if he knows you have a dog, he makes sure that he's covered in dog repellent. We know that Margaret, one of the victims, one of right. the survivors who talked on our show, when she was attacked, there was a dog in her room who just didn't move. Who did nothing. Did now, nothing. Now, I think, I mean, I, I assume you can spray it on yourself, but you can also spray the dog. I have no idea. Yeah, I'm not sure how that works because that's how it works for like the bear repellent or the shark repellent they even have. I've I've heard of that. I'd never heard of dog repellent. But remember Crompton, <laughs> Larry Crompton even mentioned how dogs would immediately, there was something weird about him because he said if they would walk through a mall and he was there, they would react to him. Right. And so now maybe we know the reason why. It's the repellent. He's, he's right. And he could even repellent. have just a small amount on his hand from spraying it uh, and they would react to that. But you're exactly right. One of the dog handlers in Contra Costa County noted that her dog acted very strangely while following the scent trail of the East Area Rapist. And the dog handler said she had only seen the dog act like that with um, drug addicts. 
And the other one was uh, a mental illness. She said uh, he will kind of have that reaction when the dog is following the trail of somebody who suffers from a mental illness. But maybe that's the dog's only reaction to something it doesn't like or whatever. But it it seems to be that he smelled like dog repellent, which is really uh, a very clever way of... um, protecting yourself from being attacked by one of these dogs when you're breaking into somebody's home. So um, Now, speaking of dogs, verified or unverified? Hang on, before we go before we go into the next question, I want to point out that law enforcement believes that uh, Manuela Whithune was probably killed with a hammer. So we do have evidence that he did use a hammer. They never found the hammer, but... Um, the hole that was in the sleeping bag and her injuries made them believe it was possibly a, a regular hammer, construction-type hammer. Like you said, that shoplifting trip was a murder kit. It obviously is. And he's obviously decided, I'm going to start killing my victims. You mentioned it's right before the first attack in Southern California. That couple were lucky to get away, and they probably saved their own lives by doing that because he seems to be intent on killing his victims once he reaches uh, Southern California. Okay, so speaking of dogs, verified or not verified, uh, the Golden State Killer, uh, now that we know is uh, is Joseph James D'Angelo, once stabbed a dog while prowling. I've, we've heard that it was suspected, but I don't think it's been verified that was actually him. And I don't see how anyone will ever verify that. Yeah. Unless he confesses. Yeah. I guess we'll call that one unverified. <laughs> yeah. Um, Suspected, but unverified. (laughs) Now, here's an interesting one. Verified or not verified, he was actually engaged to another woman named Bonnie. Well, that's what Paul Holes is reporting, and I believe Paul Holes because he does his homework. So I would say that's verified, that they found that he had a fiancé named Bonnie. Now, I had never heard that he had used the name Bonnie during any of the attacks I had heard that he had um, cried to his mommy that he would, after tying up the victims, he was walking around the house and they heard him weeping and saying, Mommy, I don't want to do this, Mommy. But maybe it was Bonnie. Maybe it was Bonnie. Um, According to Paul Holes, the third Davis attack, which I believe is listed as attack number 37, the victim remembers Bonnie. Bonnie and not Mommy. uh, And not Mommy. But yes, most of the victims, when they... reported hearing him cry, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, mommy. It could have been Bonnie that they misheard. Uh, Paul Holes did say that they looked into Bonnie and obviously when they were looking at a suspect who had a Bonnie in their life, that, you know, suspect got a little extra attention. Yes. But he also said Bonnie was a very popular name back then. So, uh, so far, the Bonnie wasn't uh, an avenue of investigation that really could go anywhere. But again, I think that's what's going to be so interesting in the next couple of years as this investigation now continues, as these trials continue, is these these little nuggets that we couldn't use as an inquiry of investigation are now confirmed or now make sense. Right. Because now that we know who he is and we learn and d- deep dive into his life, right. we'll be able to make more sense of these things. Okay, verified or not verified. The Golden State Killer actually laid his own concrete driveway, and law enforcement thinks anything could be hidden under it. You know what? I haven't heard that. That's a new one. Yeah, that's a good one. We do know that law enforcement is is not leaving that property until they have it turned upside down. We do verify that they were checking the backyard yesterday. Yes. Um, They were probing the yard, meaning they were um, seeing if they could find anything that was buried 
a few feet underground. So that's interesting. So yeah, if 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 they have any indication that you know that driveway wasn't there when he moved in, they probably or that or if right, they have any indication that he actually poured it himself. Uh, obviously, there are companies that pour concrete driveways. They do it all the time. Uh, it would seem to be a big job to do by yourself. But um, I got to tell you, uh, both Joke and I were impressed with the. Uh, how nice the house looked and the yard was immaculate. And I went back through some of my books and uh, that's a theme with serial killers. They like their yards and we they also, keep their cars immaculate and his cars were immaculate. We can verify that law enforcement um, did take possession of the vehicles, but that they were very clean. Yes. Uh, inside and out. So uh, something quirky about their nature that they really like a nice lawn and a clean car. Okay, so so final question before we wrap up today's episode. Todd, you've been on this case seemingly forever. We now know who this guy is. Was there anything that surprised you when you learned his identity? Well, obviously, uh, the fact that he was a police officer was very surprising. People will say that all the time. They said that about Green River, BTK, uh, several others before they're caught, and they never turn out to be police officers. I think that was a a very surprising revelation. I think it's one of the many reasons why this will be a one of a con case. And the uh, the fact that he was 72 and not mid 60s, which I was guessing. So he's he's quite a bit older than I thought. But um, I think we we can subtract some of the years that he was in Vietnam, did two tours, went to college. So that's why he maybe got a late start on his criminal career. But I think the main thing was he seems to be a very angry person. Now, when you look at the crimes, you say, of course, but to fit into society and get away with it for 42 years, you cannot act like that in society. Somebody's going to notice and you may draw law enforcement attention, but he seems to um, have been a very angry person. Uh, We know we've heard some of that from his family, but we've also heard quite a bit of that from his uh, neighbors. Both Joke and I spoke to several neighbors who said that he would curse out in his front yard and not be speaking to anybody, just be cursing at himself or something that he did, you know, while he was working in the yard that was a mistake. And he'd curse at kids if they walked too close to his fence. And he seemed to have that anger very close to his to the uh, to his surface. And I just thought. That's something that could really give you away. Yeah, but I also talked to other neighbors who had a relationship with him. Right. You know, some neighbors didn't, and it's like, oh, he's the weird guy down the street. We don't talk to him. You know, tell the kids not to make him mad because he yells at you. You know, he's the guy that yells at kids. But there were other neighbors who, like, had him over at the house and would go over to his house. And whenever it's like, hey, we got to lift this heavy thing up the stairs. Will you help me? He would come over. Right. You know, yeah, they wouldn't have Thanksgiving together. They wouldn't, you know, be chummy chummy together. But, you know, it was a, it was a cordial neighborly relationship. And they're the ones that are obviously shocked and, you know, devastated and very surreal. So I think he, he probably figured out, you know, 
how to keep people away from him to, to you know, it's like if, if I'm the dog that's barking, no one's going to get too close to me to figure out who I am or maybe ask questions. Right. But if you're vicious, somebody's going to call the cops. So it is a balancing act there. I, I'm still yeah. talking the metaphor of the dog. If the dog is vicious, somebody's going to come take him away. He even, even the neighbors that were like, oh, he's yelling Just and whatever. A cranky old man, basically. He was a cranky yeah. old man. He Although, w- interestingly, right, normally when they, people talk about how could he have gotten away with it for so long, like you pointed out, people assume that maybe he was like naturally charming. I mean, Ted Bundy was extremely charming. Extremely charming. You know? It's a common theme for a lot of these people. This right. guy, so I, I don't much. know. It doesn't seem like he went to charm school. It, it does not. It, it seems like he was not charming. But uh, the I saw an interview with uh, a young man. He's a man now. Uh, he grew up next to D'Angelo, and he stopped playing with one of D'Angelo's daughters because he said uh, D'Angelo scared him. He was always mad. Even when he didn't say anything, he said, even as a kid, I could feel this anger kind of emanating from him. And the pictures from the arraignment, you can see He's angry. that there's that kind of, you know... <laughs> Malevolent kind of, uh, yeah. yeah. It just comes emanating out of him. It's, it's hard to describe, but everybody knows somebody like that. It just seems, uh, I yes, I always thought that he would be able to keep that under wraps better, and that's why he had uh, was able to fit into society without anybody suspecting him. But um, it seems like maybe as he got older, uh, that veneer kind of faded away, and you got to see a little bit more of the real person underneath. But I guess we'll we'll find out. Well, there's a lot of stories coming out, and they will continue to come out, and we'll learn exactly. a lot about this man. And I, I think you know we always talked about you know why did he stop after 86? But now that we know how old he is, and the fact that he was already 40 yes. when he you know committed to Janelle Cruz murder, you're like okay, you know at 40 it starts getting harder, and you know yes, jumping this... a fence at 40 is not like jumping a fence at 25. Exactly. So <laughs> I can vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those things start making sense. But anyway, there's so much more to come. Um, I kind of feel like this. This entire case we've been on starts over. It's like a new investigation it's, it's the begins new chapter, yes. in terms of, you know, trying to fill in all these holes in the story that trying to get the pieces of the puzzle that help make sense of this. Yes. So um, we're excited to continue this process and we're going to do uh, a few more episodes. Stay tuned. We'll uh, probably launch another mini season of five episodes coming up. Um, Todd, I hope you'll be back of as, course. as we try and put this puzzle together of who is Joseph James D'Angelo, the Golden State Killer. So you want to make sure you subscribe. Now you can find the podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, And while you're there, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you guys so much. And let's finish these glasses. Let's do it. Thank you guys.